0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I am here with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Today is the 5th of November, which of course, Michael, means that we should remember the gunpowder, treason and plot.
1: Oh, you mean the martyrs that died after their failed heroic attempt to destroy the uh,
0: hegemonic power of the patriarchy. Absolutely, Michael. I can think of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. It's all, of course, remembered as an
1: extravagant, state-sponsored, anti-Catholicism, of sectarian, in sectarian violence, Gary. Sectarian violence. You know, I think we should remember that. And maybe sue somebody.
0: I'm sure it's someone's fault.
1: Because I, I'm triggered, triggered by it, hurt by it. Um, it, I think you can argue that it goes directly it leads to the Popish plot, the response, because, you know, the response to to Guido, I mean, there was a, d- a deep level of a refusal to understand the fundamental anxieties and concerns there. And rather than deal with them, they just, they killed them, Gary. You know, it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to do that rather than sit down and talk to somebody and engage with them and listen to them and hear them. I think that's the lesson we should learn. It's the challenge to empathise
0: do you remember the full uh, Guy Fawkes rhyme? Absolutely not. Why should I? I'm
1: an Irish, Ca- an Irish Catholic. What the hell should I know? Some
0: ghastly anti-Catholic dog Remember, room. remember the 5th of November. The gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes, Guy Fawkes, twas his intent to blow up the King and Parliament. Three score barrels of powder below, poor old England to overthrow. By God's providence, he was catched with a dark lantern and burning match. Holla boys, holla boys, let the bells ring. Holla boys, holla boys, God save the king. And what should we do with him? Burn him. A uh, rhyme you will very rarely hear in this country, a bar occasionally up the north. It's actually it's the second verse that generally isn't used, that's way more anti Catholic.
1: It's like a lot of these things. If you ever actually listen to those, the third or the fourth verse of God Save the Queen, it doesn't really, doesn't do much for Anglo-Scottish relations. These things, these (laughs) things are sent in from
0: history down to Troyes. But anyway, that is just the day we have today. Uh, That is not what we will be discussing primarily. There, uh, of course, the government has come out with its climate change plans and the costings for them, and they're pretty spectacular. It's climate... Plin- no, no, I'm sorry. You keep saying this, and I don't... Climate change plans. It doesn't have a China
1: climate change plan. It has a, a series of climate change novenas. We will call them the, the government novena for climate change, because it's not a plan. It's a series of aspirations, hopes, and prayers tagged together by massive amounts of of money, which we're going to have to borrow and going deeper and deeper into debt, at the same time, at the, sa- the same economic you novenas, know, are going to f- screw over the economy and suppress growth. It's a fantastic prospect.
0: So, we have that. Then, uh wanted to talk about government donations to organisations and, uh, you know, Michael, making sure that money isn't going to things you don't want it to go, or... Well, I suppose if you wanted to be, if you want to imply something, Michael, you could say not going to things you wanted to go to, but definitely don't want to, to be shown they're going to.
1: You mean like people who want to drive the Jews
0: into the sea? Yeah, I mean, you might want to give them money, but you should probably finesse it slightly so that you can't say the Irish state is directly giving money to those people. Recently, the Israeli government classified six Palestinian NGOs as terrorist entities. They did that because they said those NGOs were acting as a public face effectively or as an arm of the leadership of the PFLP, which would be the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is a a secular uh, Mm. Marxist group. A very interesting group, actually, way less active now than they used to be. They used to be very fond of the old airplanes. Oh, back in the day, yeah. Back in the day, I can't even remember the last time they blew up an airplane. The
1: tide on that kind of secular, Marxist, pan-Arab, you know, hijacking, it's kind of gone out. Where it's much more a kind of a a local populist Islamic vibe going on now. I think
0: the problem for Ireland in that is that the Israeli government had said that these groups were pushing money into the PFLP but that a large part of that money was coming from European governments. And of the six entities which were declared as terrorist entities, two were being funded by the Irish government, by Irish aid. Partially, not totally partially. Simon Coveney came out and said that he had seen no evidence to suggest these were terrorist organisations, and that he wanted Israel to make that evidence available to the international community, but that there were robust safeguards in place, to ensure that Irish money did not go to inappropriate causes, including terrorism. I attempted to question the Department of Foreign Affairs in relation to their funding of uh, the groups on that list. They have so far failed to respond to any email I've sent in about it, so I just keep sending them the same email every couple of days, just for fun, really, at this point. Also, because at some point I want to be able to go to the Department of... Foreign Affairs ignored 17 requests for comment. We'll get there someday, Michael. The problem here is that when he talks about the lack of evidence, the Israeli government has been producing for years reports on these NGOs and their links to the PFLP. Now, you can say the evidence in those is not persuasive, but there is substantial documentation of them. And there are clear links between members of these charities and and members of the PFLP. The important thing about the PFLP, by the way, is that it is recognized as a terrorist organization not just by Israel, but also by the United States and by the EU. So if it turns out that Israel is right, and these groups were funneling money back to the PFLP, and the Irish government was giving them money, the Irish government effectively funded terrorism. So as you can imagine, this is not something they want to talk about. But when Simon Coveney asked about evidence, I did go back and look at some of the reports I had seen. And then I looked more into some of the directors of uh, these entities, Michael. Yes. And there is a clear pattern of high-ranking members of these organizations either being convicted of terrorism charges, uh, being arrested for terrorism charges, or for the Israeli government to publish information which they say links them to the PFLP for many many years so if we want to talk about evidence well it appears there's evidence there as I said you could say that you don't find it compelling but it has been available for years and that raises this question if you are the Irish government and you know that there is information being circulated the high-ranking members of an organization that you are giving money to are also high-ranking members of a terrorist organization what steps did you take to make sure that money that you gave to them didn't go to the funding of terrorism. And that is what I would have really liked the Department of Foreign Affairs to clarify. Because I think it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to give these groups cash and then control where it went.
1: Yeah, there's no way this cash is not fungible. I mean, it's it's money going into a pot. There's absolutely no way that... the Irish government is going to be in some kind of situation where he can hypothecate this money. Now, that money is only to be used for, oh, teenage gay drop-in centres and women's literacy courses. None of that is to be used for terrorist acts against Israel.
0: I mean, Even if they had put in place a system where, let's say, the charity had to invoice the, depart- the Irish aid, and Irish aid paid their supplier directly given the circumstances in palestine you still could never stand over the actual reality of where that money went it would be nearly impossible because of the nature of the situation and the involvement of large amounts of the population now the irish government may say that you know it doesn't matter that these links are there that they still think these are legitimate charities but to come out as if you are shocked That these charities, which have been linked to terrorism for years, are now being called terrorist entities. As if, how could we have known this would happen? Presumably, you've read the reports on it. And
1: Whatever you might want to say about whatever levels of evidence or not, regarding the the direct day-to-day operations of the charities and what they may be doing towards the destabilisation of the State of Israel or acts of terrorism, the fact is, the personnel is there. I mean, the the, the the personnel in the charities and the personnel in the terrorist organisation recognised by you, that is a, an identity. A is to A. That Nobody can argue with that. These are the same people. That is established.
0: Particularly in, in 2019, there was a, a PFLP bombing that killed a 17-year-old Israeli child, a girl, and the Israelis cracked down hard on, on them after that bombing. And two of the people who were arrested were a former accountant of one of these charities and a former director general of one of these charities who had been on the board of directors as the deputy director until I think 2017 and had a long history of being accused of activities such as this. Now that person was subsequently convicted in 2021 of being a senior member of the PFLP. They were released shortly after because they had spent nearly two years in jail awaiting trial um, and things of that nature. So they basically were released having served their time. But to say there was no evidence, that there was no indication that this money could be going to groups which are linked to the PFLP is total horseshit. And either the department knew and it didn't care, in which case, fair enough, if you think that's legitimately in your objectives... Or didn't know, and it's incompetent. I would be
1: curious, and that's no more than that. Curious to know to what extent Coveney tried to inform himself, and or to what extent the department tried to inform Coveney before he made that statement. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to see the the facts as we have seen them, and to say that there is no evidence. That just doesn't seem to be a reasonable position. You can might you might say there isn't sufficient evidence, or the evidence stacks up, but we still feel that this is a legitimate thing to do. And oh yes, you know it's it's they're going to be in a place like Palestine, where you have such a small civic community. You are going to have crossover between different groups and organisations. That's unfortunate, but we have to deal with the reality. But to simply blandly state the thing as he. Stated it, <laughs> Gary, at the, very, at the very least, it's not just, it's provocative, it's deliberately provocative. It, the implication is that it's the Israelis at it again, defaming decent people.
0: It's much like the the ombudsman thing. I don't care what the result is. If the Irish government decided it wanted to fund a terrorist group indirectly, or it wanted to fund a group with such close links to terrorism that they should have been able to assume money was going to leak, and that's just their policy, that's at least a policy. I don't agree with it, I think it's, but it would at least be a policy. Here it looks like their argument is just, we don't know anything, when there's rather a lot you could have known. The Irish Times is reporting today that most of the cost of the new climate action plan is to be borne by private individuals, households, and the private sector, according to the three coalition leaders. Now, they're saying 125000000000 billion. I've seen estimates that we'll have to spend somewhere in the region of 200 to $220 billion to actually hit the targets they're talking about. Uh, I have read... Parts of it, there are some things in that plan which are simply insane, Michael. You look at them and you realise that no one has actually thought what this will mean in practice, like how this can actually be done. And we saw that with Britain when they kind of did the same thing, uh, particularly involving the retrofitting of houses with boilers for environmental reasons. And the trade groups eventually came out and they went, it takes this long to install a boiler. This many people work in the sector. This is the amount of time before the government's target. Mathematically, it's impossible, even if there was no travel time between the boilers. And I strongly suspect that no one has looked through parts of this policy to see if it actually makes any sense together. Gary, I am confident that the
1: the, the the whole, in fact, I would say, the whole of the government's environmental prayer, prayer schedule is largely impos- impossible. And I don't mean that rhetorically. I mean it just simply as working within the physics that we're working
0: with, not possible. There were, um, there were parts of it as well where you look at and you're like, I don't know enough about this sector to tell if that is workable. Like they're talking about agriculture and how they're going to cut agricultural emissions and then they say well what we're going to do is we're going to reduce the use of chemical fertilizers and promote organic farming and i just look at that and go you want to reduce emissions from agriculture by up to 30 percent by promoting organic farming i would be very interested to see if that is possible Wait, that, it's that is possible
1: but it's a question of what, how you do it. Okay, organic farming will have a couple of advantages from their perspective. First of all, organic farming will tend to be less intensive, so that means you will you'll be looking at a reduction in the size of the herd, which is something they want, right? Second thing is, yeah, organic farming inevitably will mean that you'll have you'll be using fewer uh, chemicals, petrochemicals of certain kinds. So that'll help you with your emissions. Now... There is a funny thing about organic farming. Have you ever bought eggs, Gary? Or lamb? Or ice cream? Or carrots? You may have noticed that you'll be offered an organic and an non-organic choice. And the organic choice is what we call more expensive. Are you with me so far?
0: I presume that makes sense, because if you ban chemical fertilisers, I assume yield goes down.
1: Yield goes down, yes. Now, what this means is price will go up. No... Price won't necessarily go up to such a point that it will compensate the farmer from the point of view that having lost yield, they gain in price. Now, the farmers obviously will gain morally speaking. They will feel better about themselves. They'll feel better about their industry. They'll be more psychically balanced. Their chi will be much more, will just flow much better. But not necessarily the case unless we actually just give them the money. And that may be the solution, you see, Gary, is to say we're not going to employ farmers as specific as people to produce food, really. That's not their price. We're going to put them in there because we, we like the way the country is organised when we look at it. We like the fields and the hedgerows. and it just it's, 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 it's attractive. And we have to remember that the country in Europe, countryside in Europe, is a completely artificial construct. I mean, this is not what it would look like if people weren't farming it. It has been a construct for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So you pay them to do this. And they give you food that you can buy in the farmer's market or in the better supermarkets organically. Now, there are those who will say that if somebody, say, in Irish farming decides to lower production, then other people in other areas will increase their production, say, of beef or of milk or whatever it is or soybeans. Michael,
0: are you suggesting, Michael, that if we were to force all of our farmers to farm in an organic fashion, thereby driving down yields and increasing production price per unit, that might give space to foreign competitors who don't have those restrictions to come in and sell at an old price point?
1: Well, it would do, it would do, Gary, but I think we can be confident that because it's not just Irish farming that will be doing this, it'll be farming pretty well everywhere in the civilised
0: world. Is Brazil part of the civilised world?
1: Well, you see, I don't know, we haven't seen What Brazil is going to do? yet? Is Brazil going to sign up to the agreement not to take that nasty coal out of the ground, for example? Now, we know the Australians, the Chinese, the Indians and the Americans are not. Um, So they're bad people and they're going to keep using coal. I remember had being at a talk some years ago where they were talking about power, they said, the tragedy for the United States is that as coal becomes less and less important, uh, people forget that the United States is the Saudi Arabia of coal, but many times over. Apparently, I mean, we know Australia has lots of coal and China has quite a bit. America is basically built out of coal.
0: I, my, my The first thing I noticed about this plan, before I even got to the details, and it's something I, I really dislike, is they're calling it a just transition to a climate-neutral Ireland. Anytime someone says the phrase just transition to me, I assume someone is getting fucked. It's like you can tell how despotic a country is by how positive their name is. So the People's Republic is going to be worse than the Republic, and the Democratic People's Republic is going to be a nightmare.
1: But then you think of the the, the Democratic Popular People's Republic.
0: And you're you're right to debt squads. Like that's just how it works.
1: Oh yeah, straight in. You, you you go through you go through passport control, and by the time you've got to the taxi ranks, they've already taken out some of your fingernails. So the agriculture thing, yeah, they have to reduce what they have. The thing is, guys, when you look at the, the plan, right? There's a kind of a, a refreshing honesty at times when they they talk to the climate the climate plan because the climate plan we were told, okay, we want you to go away and work out how we're going to reduce emissions from this to that over this period of time, and you get the feeling, though no, nobody said to them, "How do we do that without doing X or Y?" They were just up to, "How do you do it? Is it possible?" Of course, anything is possible. It is perfectly possible for us to reduce our emissions by fifty-one percent before before twenty thirty by <laughs> just closing down the gap. Um That's po- now certain things are not possible.
0: So uh, there's there's tons of stuff in the plan, and we might go through it in more detail on Sunday, but there. were... Two things I want to mention in relation to it. Uh, the first one is talking about areas where the plan is going to go badly off the rails and pretty much immediately. It's housing section. So this is all about making everything more energy efficient. And if you want to hit the targets they're setting, you need to do that because we saw from COVID, you shut everything down, you keep people living at home, and things still don't decline at a rate fast enough to hit the targets because the passive rate is higher, uh, which should give you a sense of how bad this is going to get.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what people need to reflect on. The worst, over the worst, deepest shutdown of the pandemic. And people just remember in your heads, keeping a picture of what your town looked like at that point. That was not enough reduction in economic activity for us to be able to hit the target that year for the reduction in emissions. So just have a sense of what kinds of things we're going to have to do.
0: So what they want to do is this. They want to install, over the next decade... 680,000 heat pump uh, heating systems. They want to retrofit 500,000 homes for energy efficiencies. So let's put that to one side, Michael. That is there. The new housing plan, Housing for All, published a month ago, says they're going to build 33,000 homes every year over that period as well. Then we have the MICA situation, which is politically radioactive. So they are going to pump money into that to fix that. Billions upon billions are going to be pumped into the building sector. The building sector does not have anywhere near the capacity to do all of these things at once. Yeah. So if you pump more and more money into it, what you're going to cause is rampant price increases. Now that's going to be good for some people because wages are going to go absolutely mental that won't just be in wages though that'll devastate the cost of building materials and across europe many of the the uh, governments are planning things like this so it's not even going to be the case that you'll be able to get cheap labor or cheap building materials that are on sale somewhere else in europe and import them this plan means that i would expect absolutely no normalization of that market for the best part of a decade building costs are going to skyrocket which then means the government is going to be able to do less with the money it's put aside for it which then means they're going to have to ramp up the cost or the the money invested or they're going to have to push that cost onto households which means that there's going to be a lot of people who just can't afford this it's even assuming they could afford it as a standard and i would suspect this plan is full of things like this pump particular sectors full of money at a level they cannot hold causing rampant inflation and meaning that the sector has to choose what it's going to do. So we, which department do they do they favour here? Like, do they favour building? Do they favour retrofitting? They're competing against themselves. Do
1: you know what else, though? I, in all of this... Now, this is just added to the soup, but looking at the plans and the timings and all the incentives, etc., the, the last year and a half, I also think we have another lovely thing, which is about to start brewing, Gary which is, uh, I think we're going I think we're going to manage in the middle of all of this to generate a housing bubble. I'm going to put my, I I, I've been meaning to say this. I don't know if I've said it already. But I wanted, I kept meaning to say this on the podcast so that I, I can go back and, because nobody will remember if I'm wrong. Nobody remember if I'm right, but I'll remember. So I want to be able to go back and say, see, I said, I said, ha ha, ha ha. I think there's a housing bubble being created in the middle of all of this because you're going to have this huge, enormous, ridiculous push over in a contracted period of time which is not a natural thing to to build and to, to change and you're going and you're going to see massive increases in prices but eventually eventually you will get just through the dint of money you're going to get the the, the the mark the the market and the sector building to its capacity or beyond its capacity right but that won't just stop Gary It's not that we will reach a magic number, where the supply of housing has now equalised and stabilised, and we're now caught up, and it's all grand. That's not the way they think. They will keep building, and the prices will keep going, and they will keep the overhang will continue for some time until you reach a point. Also, eventually, well, it'll be even more prolonged here, probably, because all of the money that's going in to the retrofitting will keep. Okay, we'll start to keep, we'll keep prices maybe artificial. But a point will be reached where supply has been stabilized and the generalized costs that have been enforced by this will start to reduce. Because also we have to assume, assume eventually the shortages and kinks caused by COVID will have worked themselves out of the system. And you're going to be looking at houses that are going to be many tens of thousands of pounds or euros. Overpriced. And we're going to have a lovely, lovely crash all over again.
0: You might like um this one, Michael, as well. Part of the plan 14.2.1. A national awareness and demand generation campaign. So there's gonna be targeted marketing campaigns underpinned by behavioral economics insights taking place across 2022.
1: Behavioral economics insight, that's always a word.
0: Yep. So that that is going to drive the sector absolutely mental great time to be working in the sector by the way, unless that the you know unless the material prices rise out of control in which case well we'll see what happens then. but nowhere in any of this do I get any sense that they understand what they're doing. they're doing exactly Gary uh, you see you're too young they're doing exactly what they did twenty
1: years ago, well not exactly but basically y- 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 by the late nineties. Even by the mid-90s, we, the Irish building industry was working at capacity. My brother was a builder at the time. And by the late 90s, he and other people were going to England and similar places to get block layers. You couldn't get block layer. The price of a block, it went from being 40p to lay a block to one pound twenty a block in Dublin at times. In the space of a couple of years, you couldn't get them. So they were getting bricklayers. It might from bricklayers in from England, from 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 Scotland, from various different places, tribes, and. And in the middle of all of this, right? You had this fucked up planning system where, if you wanted to build a house, or housing scheme, for some reason, do you have? Did you do you remember this, or did you notice it? You had to apply for planning permission to build a hotel as well. In the middle of all of these, you had to. And there would be a small hotel, forty-room hotel. What that was about, I don't know. But the big thing was, they put up all of these special tax things, right, which were supposed to be to stim uh, for to stimulate the build the the local economy and building. So places along the coast, like a number of places near near where I live, had a special tax designation. So if you built houses there for rent, you could set off. You could, uh, you could use those to set off all of your rental income across. Say, if you had large rental incomes in Dublin, you could set them off against that. So what you did was you had, you stimulated massive levels of building activity in places where it wasn't needed or wanted, which distracted uh, really sca- already scarce resources, both in materials and in men, from the places where they were actually needed, which meant that you had a continuing constriction The market, so that the price of the the wages went up, the materials went up, everything, and it was, now that would have happened to a degree anyway, but it was deliberately, consciously exacerbated by government policy, driving demand when demand was already bucking through the system. A few months ago, I don't know, did you notice this? A few months ago, David Quinn was writing an article where he was saying this is going to cost sixty or seventy billion at least to do x y and z and they all jumped on his head then <laughs> last week who was with the office of budget not the office of but physical people were saying that it's going to cost at least 125 billion and there are people out there Gary I know you will be talking to them as well We're saying 150, 107, 200. I mean, you're getting to numbers where it starts not to really make sense anymore.
0: The highest I've been told by someone is 220, spread between the state and households.
1: And the big thing there is because there is a suspicion that we may hit a point where the price increases in certain sectors are just going to become uncontrollable, that they lose control completely of this thing. Because it's not just, like you said, Gary. it's not just happening here. It's happening all over Europe. And we have generated... Through deliberate policy choices, all sorts of price inflation, we have created. For example, we have talked about this already. Energy shortages, just for ourselves in Europe, we generally chosen for that to do that.
0: Yeah, on the um, on why some people are saying it'll be much more expensive. There's a principle called the the Pareto or Pareto principle. You usually hear about it in terms of um, management. Sometimes called the 80-20 rule. So, uh, you know, 20% of people produce 80% of the positive outcomes for a company or the money of a company. It's usually used in that way, but it can also be found in a lot of other uh, places. So if you want to do something, let's say you want to make a product as good as you can get it. Once you start, you've got all the low-hanging stuff, basically, the things you can do cheaply. But as you get further and further into making it absolutely perfect, minute improvements in the product become increasingly expensive. And so the argument there is that the final 20% of what you're doing is going to cost 80% of the total project cost. Now, that's just a rule of thumb. That's not a you know, hard and fast mathematical rule. But there is an expectation that when we get a couple of years into this and they're saying, okay, you've reduced it by this much, but you still need to go down another 7% this year, It's going to start becoming very, very difficult to hit those numbers without incredible cash from investment. Or coercion. Or massive coercion, yes.
1: Yeah. I think this is going to be a really, really interesting experiment. I've been talking to a few of our friends, you know, on the extreme alt-right in that space that we occupy, uh, the loony, the loony fringe, and... There's an interesting discussion because we've been talking about this for a while, and I've been talking to friends about it this we are now that this is the moment it is happening. the rubber is hitting the road. the economic realities the sort of the pain of pursuing a certain kind of response to climate change is now going to become manifest and we're not going it's not going to be small micro doses gary i mean electricity i mean the price of petrol you're talking one seventy 170 to one seventy five litre. The price of electricity, which we might just briefly mention a little bit in Ireland, the price of a bale of briquettes, which we talked about before, the price of a bag of coal, and all of the other things that that will feed into. Because energy costs will feed into every... This is the point you have been making for a long time. Energy is the thing that all of our economy is built on. There is no business that can stay in business without using energy so therefore if their energy costs are going up their costs are going up so the bag of chips is going to go up, is is going to cost more in the chipper pair of shoes is going to cost more everything is going to cost more wages are going to go up consequently and you're going to get you're going to get we're going to risk but so I think the question is going to be, and I'm curious. I know you don't, you, are you're, 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 not a fan of hypotheticals or speculation and all that, but fuck it, I don't care. In the next year or so, we're going to see this. Everybody, well, not a lot of people confidently say to me, "Oh, when the real numbers hit the peak, no, they'll just stop. There'll be a revolution. They'll, be, they'll be turfed out. There's no way when you see 82% of people are opposed to carbon taxes that people are going to deal with the kind of pain." That they're going to have to deal with what do you think do you think i mean and I, i'm not expecting the scientific but if you're going to have if i gave you a five pound note and it's even money one way or the other which bet would you have
0: so if you were to ask me what i thought was more likely between we will see a mass mobilization like the water protests but on a larger scale because this is clearly a more substantial impact or if people will sit and take it, I would say the likelihood, I'd say the strong likelihood, is that people will sit and take it. You
1: know, that's where I'm going to. I'm kind of hitting for sit and take it. The only only thing is Sinn Féin are interestingly positioned on this.
0: Yes, they're in the, we think this is necessary, but we think these are horribly regressive and these steps won't work. And we oppose
1: carbon taxes. We, we oppose carbon taxes, isn't that?
0: We oppose carbon taxes because they're regressive. Yeah. On the matter of uh, how the Irish Energy Service is run, i am we won't discuss it here, Michael, because it was said under dull privilege, but Dara O'Brien made a series of statements and, uh, shall we say, insinuations about some of the companies involved in the Irish energy grid. Dara O'Brien or Barry Cowan? Sorry, no, it would have been Barry Cowan. Yes, 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 yes. Don't know why I mixed those two up. Oh I was just reading about um about Dara O'Brien and the uh, the wind energy company pulling out. Oh yes. Yeah. So he is talking about uh, some of the contractual uh, obligations there and uh, issues with Airgrid and ESB Northwall. As I said it was said under dull privilege. So uh, I don't you may see it reported but if you see it reported they're just going to give you exactly what he said because uh, no one is going to go beyond that. I will put a direct link to it at the bottom of this podcast. And if you're interested in perhaps procurement or um, you know, just what's happening, I would uh, I'd say it's a good read. Just
1: while we're there, I just want to, since I, I, I adverted to it, I'm not going to talk about it because it's not to talk about, but just as a passing observation, the price of electricity. The price of electricity in Ireland is twenty percent six nine cent per kilowatt hour unit, right? I'm just to contextualize that. Um blue and yellow, is that Lithuania? It's a Baltic country anyway. How offensive is that? A Baltic country. That comes bottom these these are the these are the figures from Eurostat for the electricity prices in the EU. We come in at twenty point six nine. After us, seventeen six seven is Belgium. Germany at fifteen point six two. Germany, Germany, like is 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 twenty five percent cheaper than us, and they're still spending x billions a year on solar on solar power subsidies. They have, I think, in ten years, hundred and twenty billion on subsidies to uh, renewables, and they're still and they've had to put the prices up because of various legal issues, all the way up. The average. In the europe is 13.29 greece is done so it's finland at 12. uh well is that, is that the norwegian flag norway doesn't count because norway has mountains and stuff like that hungary 7.89 and then i think that's no it's not lithuania maybe Latvia. Latvia. oh no it's ukraine is the ukraine is blue and yellow I think Ukraine is blue blue and yellow. At zero point zero four point zero four cent.
0: Come for the energy discussion. Stay for the confusion about national flags.
1: Stay for the confusion about national know, Hungary anyway, we'll stick with Hungary. We're coming I'm confident about Hungary. Hungary, seven point eight nine cent. We are twenty point six nine cents. That's not that far away. That's like two and a two two thirds times more expensive. And it's only going to get more expensive, Gary. That's the great news. We are committed to making it even more expensive. But it'll pay for itself in the end. I was told this with an absolutely straight face by uh, a, a doctor recently. You yeah, have all of these pl- at, No, that's not true. Yet. At least half of the plans that are on will, will pay for themselves, you know. And when I asked the question, over how long a period? The silence. And the chewing of lips, Gary, was absolutely fucking spectacular. I think uh, one one part of the plan he'd worked out, No, be much better than I, but his back-of-the-envelope calculations on one programme, which I escaped now, said it will be around 53 years. But in 53 years, it will pay for itself. No, you have to pay for it up front now yourself, so fuck you.
0: On um, one thing that I was looking for in the plan, and is mentioned uh, in the forestry section, although they don't give any detail. They said they're going to release a forestry report uh, later, uh, next year, I think. Actually, sorry, no, 2023. And you might remember a while ago, Michael, I actually have no idea how long ago at this point, there was a study looking at one of the options for carbon, uh, for for climate change, was planting more trees, planting a massive amount of trees.
1: It was was published in the Guardian newspaper also. I'm just saying that because, you know, the well-known greenies place
0: i'll see if i can dig it up and if i can i'll link it below in the bottom of this podcast i know we talked about it when it came out but um god knows how long ago that was and the basic gist of it was if we could plant a massive amount of trees which this study they used satellite imaging to try and work out was it possible and said we can we can actually do this i think they said it would be equivalent to 20 years of CO2 production, global CO2 production.
1: It was yeah, July the 4th, uh, 2019.
0: Thinking about it there because someone put up a tweet saying that uh, Butan, Suriname and Panama are all carbon neutral and asking people to guess why that was. Carbon negative. That, yes, they are carbon negative. And they put up a tweet asking people to ask why that was. And I knew the answer. And the answer is that the countries are all, I think, at least 65% forests. It was something I was looking for to see if it was in the plan, because that report, it was seriously considered for a while. I know there were a couple of articles, um, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory did a couple of articles on it, and whether or not it was workable. But it just kind of disappeared. Uh, But I was looking to see if there's anything about that in this plan, because if it was workable, it would be simply so much cheaper than anything else in this plan. It would be incredible.
1: I just want worth pointing out, and I'm quoting here: this new quantitative evaluation shows that forest reforestation isn't just one of our climate solutions; it's overwhelmingly the top one. Said Professor Tom Crowther at Swiss University E-H- ETH Zurich. Now, the reason I'm saying that is that isn't a little fecky place. That is one of your 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 top cool dude referred to science research universities in the world. These are this was proper research done by proper people, and it was done. It, uh, them and um, NASA were involved with this also, and yes, there were people who came out and said, "Why planting millions of trees isn't going to solve climate?" Well, well, first of all, they wanted t- to plant a trillion trees, which is a lot of trees.
0: Yeah, it was. It was a. Um, I think it was they wanted to increase global forestation. By about 25%.
1: But you know the thing is, Gary, when you actually look at forestation in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that may be possible. Bizarrely.
0: I think their, their argument was that for a, now I could be misremembering this but I believe this was a, that for every 1% we increased um, the global forested area, we would reduce atmospheric carbon by about 1%. So there's a pretty much a one-to-one um, relationship with it. And they believed it could be done. And the, I think it included some pricing estimates, or if not someone else had done them, that made it seem very attractive. The major concern with it, actually, and this is the only time I've ever heard anyone discuss this in relation to environmental affairs or anyone serious, was can we practically plant that many trees? And
1: this had all sorts of, had all sorts of interesting practical questions asked and, and answered. About uh, the stuff. And it was... Uh, it, they, like they looked at where you could get trees and, and what kinds of trees and stuff. They they showed that uh, almost two-thirds of our land could support forest, uh, like 8.7 billion hectares. But um, they also looked at the, at the effect of growing food. I mean, it wasn't just, we're going to stop growing food and grow trees.
0: Yeah, I thought that was the part that made me sort of think that this is a serious study by people who've actually thought about this, where they went... When we have worked out the land available, we have taken account of farmland. And we have tried in every instance not to cut into land that can actually be uh, utilised for farming now or in the future.
1: No, there were going to be issues with it. They said that the, land that was being used to produce meat and milk would have to be shared. But that was the thing. They were saying, wasn't it, you going to have to get rid of it, but share it? And that they were going to, this would involve reju- restoring trees at a low density. To grazing land, but they then other people were saying, mean, "Well, you know what? There we have. There's some decent data out there which suggests that l- low density, uh, for well, not forestation, but low density tree planting, actually may be beneficial for sheep and cattle, uh, in pasturing." So, anyway, it, that it really it was it was a such an unsexy, practical, and cheap. It was so cheap. In comparison to everything else that uh, was done, nobody liked it. Now, there's an interesting thing. If you, I, I maybe you might put a link up to the, to the article, Gary. The reason I say that is because the article was amended afterwards to reflect a revision made to the original paper. Which uh, there was a there was a, a criticism of it during the Journal of Science, and they just they wanted to uh, to respond to that. It's it's worth reading. And it's worth wondering, until we have seen where it got sort of just debunked, why it isn't being more seriously considered?
0: Well, I think what I have heard from environmental campaigners who talked about it is that, yeah, they would tend to go down the, well, forestation is obviously very important, but it doesn't deal with the underlying issues. And so I think they don't like it because... It looks like you know people are gonna look at that and go, Well that's a solution. And they are going, No, we need to have a fundamental change in how people operate. And this doesn't achieve that. This just solves the problem. Yes, and that's
1: and that's the heart of this, isn't it? And that's the heart that isn't really being discussed except by the Greens in the open, honestly. We talked about this before. A lot of the hard numbers to the greenies, they're straight up. This isn't really fundamentally about simply a change the temperature of the planet and trying to mitigate the climate change as a consequence. This is about accepting that the, the type of lifestyle that we have in the Western world is not feasible for the planet. Now, I think that the curious thing about that, Gary, what that really is saying is, well, we can have our lifestyle in Europe and in North America and Australia, but you know what, lads, in South America and in Africa, and you know, what can I say? You know, it's just, it's not going to happen. We can't do that kind of shit, you know, anymore. We're going to have to stop this whole, you know, post-industrial, late capitalist economy, consumerist economy. Oh you know? no, no, that's just going to have to stop. And you know what? This I, we would love you to have a bit of it, but you know what, what can we do? We have to save the planet.
0: So, I mean, when you read the plan, and it does talk about forestry and it talks about how important forestry is, it says that forests will be critical for achieving carbon neutrality no later than 2050 and that substantial forestation should take place. But it gives no actual target. It sets no goal.
1: Yeah, did you see? This is interesting also in the context, I don't know if you noticed, two days ago, the revised figures came out for emissions over the last decade, which had been uh, revised downwards. And it now very much looks like the last decade, rather than looking at an increase in emissions, at the very worst we have been looking at a plateau of emissions. And that does seem to be, well, can be connected to a lot of things. But one thing that certainly has been happening is a very significant greening is of the planet is going on and has been going on for the last 30, 40 years.
0: It's always struck me as a failure of the environmental movement, particularly in America, that it was never able to convince any of the religious groups to really get on board with it. Not at a, a sort of systemic level. It's starting to happen now just because things have culturally moved in that direction. But the religious groups, particularly the evangelical groups, do take seriously ideas that earth was granted to man by God and that it should be cared for. But they've never been able to actually talk to groups in that language. And if they had, I think they would have gotten a lot further. Instead, they talked to them the same way they would have talked to anyone else. And that just wasn't the way to have that conversation. And I think with things like that, where you're talking about the study on trees, that is something you could get nearly everyone on board with. If you were saying we want to rebuild the great forests of Ireland that we historically had, and maybe reintroduce wolves to them, I think you've got <laughs> pretty much everyone on board. I mean, it's got the wolves for the Green Party and it's got the actual improvements for everyone else. But they don't. Yeah,
1: we could. Uh, there surely must be large swathes of Ireland where you could as economically successfully return them to woodlands as, geez, leave sheep up the side of them.
0: So just. Uh, we may do more on this on Sunday when we've had a chance to go through. The plan is 200 pages long, it launched yesterday. Uh, and I have other things to do one one thing to mention about that plan um. That I, I I will hopefully have worked out for Sunday. The plan says they want a million electric vehicles on the road. I think by that's impossible. And if anyone has seen anything on this, I'd love to see it. What is the impact on the national yes. grid of the addition of a million electrical vehicles, and can it handle it? Because I've been trying to work out the average energy usage of each car, Michael, in Ireland and what you would expect that to be if they switched over to electrical. And I haven't confirmed it, but it looks like a very large increase in the national grid. Now, I mean, not potentially unsustainable. I mean, maybe there is a plan to handle it. But I just wonder if this is another case of the government saying, that's a good thing, we'll do that. And then in about 2028, someone is going to go, assuming they hit their targets. uh, Lads, what are we going to do about the... um, the electrical demand from this? And there's going to be a moment of... oh. The box. thing about the
1: electrical demand is, and this may be a very, very minor consideration indeed, but I know a lot of people, especially people with families, Gary, who will time, say, certain kinds of storage heating, water heating, um, clothes washing and drying and all sorts of things to do them at night when they will get a lower rate and i'm just it seems to me if we start to if we get all those cars peak the peak consumption is going to be at night now because that's when people will plug their cars in you come home from work you plug your car in and all over ireland people come home and plug the car in peak consumption will now be at night
0: it's almost like michael actions. It is almost
1: like that. It is very like that indeed.
0: To, to give you an idea of, of how bad the climate action plan is, Michael, I actually agreed with something Rory Hearn said about it. Do you know what he said? He quoted Leo saying nobody is going to force you to go out and insulate your home, particularly when you can't afford to do so. That he said was Leo Vradker explaining the climate action plan is just for the wealthy. If you can't afford to retrofit, i.e. most people, all the government is giving you is ever higher yes. energy bills. I think that's the first time Rory Hearn has ever said anything that I thought to be both factually correct no, that's and legitimate right. to say.
1: That's, sadly, that is on the nose. But for those people... Well, it's what we're doing I like anyway. People out there selling new high-tech doors and windows to keep your house hot. Well, they'll, they're, in for a, they're in for a good time. And a busy business. We should be back on Sunday.
0: All the best.